Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson, and today's episode is about three things. Pressure, adventure, and grit. In 1984, Kathy Sullivan was the first American woman to go on a spacewalk. And in June, just a couple weeks ago, she became the first woman to travel to the lowest point in the ocean. That makes her the first human being to visit both outer space and deep, deep sea. Fresh off this truly amazing mission, we got a hold of Kathy to ask her why a 68-year-old woman decided to travel to the bottom of the ocean in the middle of a global pandemic, and what's so important about going to places that humans have never been before. Plus, we'll talk about why, when it comes to your dreams, you should follow your gut. Kathy, welcome to Nerdette. Hi, great, great to be with you. So, yeah, as the first person who has both gone to outer space and the deepest depths of the ocean, are they similar? Well, the two environments are not at all similar. They're utterly different in countless ways. Uh, The experience of getting there and the engineering needed Mm -hmm. uh, to take human beings to those places do have some traits in common. 12, 11, 10, 9... Ignition sequence has started. Leaving the planet to go into orbit around the Earth is a very intense, brief, explosive event. We have commit and we have liftoff at 2.13. The Saturn V building up to 7.2. You know, in eight and a half minutes, you've accelerated to 17,500 miles an hour and you're hundreds of, of miles above the Earth. You feel like you're embedded in this amazing ball of energy when you're sitting on top of a rocket that's taking you off the planet. It's just an astonishing mix of sounds and movements and acceleration pushing through your back. And in contrast, going down in a submersible like the Limiting Factor, it's the name of the one I was in Uh on June 7th, that's more like a It's peaceful, it's steady, it's smooth. It's like a four-hour serene elevator ride going down to the bottom. (laughs) So not for people who are terrified of elevators. (laughs) Yeah, not terrified of elevators and not great for claustrophobes. I liken it to four-hour flight in the economy section of an airliner with the seatbelt sign always on. (laughs) I don't know that you're selling this, Kathy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's about the destination. Right. (laughs) For me, it's all about the destination and my my fascination with the the engineering and the different craft that, that I've been in is, I use the word magical to myself, there's no magic to it, it's good engineering, but Mm -hmm. the result is this kind of magical experience of being able to 
be somewhere that I otherwise have no ability to go to, no business being in, and yet I'm, I'm there. And I feel, you know, just like I do sitting in my home right now talking with you, but right outside that window or right outside that viewport is this really astonishing, amazing scenery. You know, the spectacularly broad panorama of the whole arc of the Earth out of a spaceship window or this you know, exotic moonscape deep sea environment out the viewport of the submersible. And so for me, the, either the, uh, the intensity of the space launch experience or the, you know, the, the calm, slow descent through the ocean uh, even if there's some discomfort involved, for me it's all about, but look where it lets me get to, look what it lets us explore and discover and learn. So the mission Kathy was a part of is called the Ring of Fire Expeditions, and it's a series of dives to study the deep sea. It's made possible by a brand new high-tech vessel that can withstand immense, immense pressure. The project was commissioned by a guy named Victor Vescovo, and Kathy was part of phase one. She went down to the deepest part of the deepest part of the ocean, the Marianas Trench. So the this is called the Hadal Zone after Hades, uh, <laughs> named for hell. It's, <laughs> it's all the parts of the ocean that are deeper than 6,000 meters. So basically deeper than 18,000 feet. And, and this is like twice that, right? Almost. And this is almost twice that. So it's, this is not a large percentage of the area of the seafloor, but it's a huge proportion of the volume of the ocean that lies below these depths. Um, the first time any humans went to the to the Marianas Trench was in 1960 with the Trieste. The next time anybody went was in 2012, Jim Cameron with his Deep Sea Challenger. So between the first dive and the second dive, 52 years went by. Wow. The, to understand how revolutionary Victor's limiting factor submarine is, you only need to know that in the in span of seven days, we did three dives with two people apiece to the full depth of the ocean. So wow. from once every 52 years to three times in seven days, from 10 minutes to maybe an hour on the bottom to commonly three to four hours on the bottom. So, you know, what were you trying to find tends to be a question that questions premised on, you knew you were missing something. Sure. This area is, so unknown and so little studied that every time you go there, you're seeing things that you haven't been seen before. So uh, our focus on the dives that we were doing was to refine and add precision to the topographic map of the very bottom of the Marianas Trench. It's a, it's a very complex geological environment, and it's there are creatures that live there. There's not a lot of food down there, so they're not big creatures, and there's not they're kind of sparse. Uh, but there are you know, critters that live down there. Would you describe it as eerie? Um, it, no, I didn't find it eerie. 
uh, like, I don't know what's going on here, Erie. I, it had a mysteriousness to it. It had a, yeah, an, an, in, I mean. an intriguing bit to it. The word I, really the word I come to is exotic. Uh, mm. You know, not scary, not weird, not I don't understand any of it, not hair on the back of your neck standing up, but so different, so unique, uh, so exotic, so unlike things you normally see. And yeah. to me, therefore, just intriguing. So you always, you know, having spent time as an astronaut, you, I mean, also having finished that career, or not finished that career, but you also worked with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, like you have always been interested in both space and oceans. Right. I mean, I, I was an oceanographer before I came, became an astronaut. And right, the, right. The common, the common thread between the two of them, for me, are, has two strands to it. One is... Uh, I, I like, I really love the challenge of planning and putting together and organizing and equipping expeditions, uh-huh. you know, so expeditionary science, uh, as I love that. And it's underpinning all of it is just an endless fascination with our earth and how it works on every level from, you know, cultural, economic and political to the geological. This question may sound kind of facetious, but I I really am curious, like, do you ever just get bored on dry land with plenty of oxygen and normal earth gravity? <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually quite like it on dry land with uh, normal earth gravity and lots of air to breathe. It's a, it's a lovely place to be. Um, I think I'm just an inveterate explorer, but blessed with the ability to see something delightful to explore on many different scales. So uh, some have been you know, big grand challenges like a space flight or a deep submersible dive and some more modest ones like, you know, hiker backpacking trip and some, you know, much, you know, sort of down and in smaller and slower, but I, I find a way to be delighted by all of them. (laughs) Do you think having had experience literally seeing earth from above gives you a different perspective on, you know, you mentioned political things about earth. Like, do you think it changes how you, think about daily life compared to someone who's never left the planet? Uh, I think it does. And I think the view back at, of Earth is part of that because you, you you see so many signs and symptoms of the interconnectedness of everything on this planet. If you're going to consider either doing a space flight or very deep sea dive, you've really got to take on a careful and disciplined and sophisticated risk assessment to determine um, if this all makes sense to you and it you know, this spaceship and this submarine um, well engineered etc cetera, etc cetera, and what's the benefit for pressing on so when you've done that a couple of times at least what I have found is your your sense back in the everyday world of what constitutes a risk or a problem gets really pretty radically recalibrated sure. uh, I remember back after my third space flight, not many weeks after we landed, I uh, was sitting in the office of the director of White House personnel being interviewed for uh, my first appointment to NOAA as chief scientist. Mm-hmm. And this was this would have been about April of 1992. And of course, there was an election coming up in November. Uh, and so the final part of the interview, this woman you know, lowered her eyeglasses to give me a, a bit of a lecture about the, the risks of accepting a presidential nomination <laughs> with so few months left before an election. And she, 
and there there were real factors there to consider. So I appreciated the point she was making. But I listened to all of that, and I, I said back to her that I, I got that and appreciate all you said, but none of those really strike me as risk. Yeah, you know, potential potential for some discomfort, some dislay, dis, delay, some personal disruption, maybe some financial disruption. Yeah, all of that is a potential, but you know, none of that's actually are like seriously real risk. Right. But to her, these were risks. I wonder, I'm sure you've gotten this question a million times, but what advice do you give, especially young women who are starting to, or who maybe for whom it's easier to picture themselves in space after having seen someone like you do it? Um, I usually emphasize, I emphasize a couple of points when I'm talking to young folks who um, about their futures. One is, um, and I, it's a very central one to me, is never let anybody edit what you're interested in. Uh, you will encounter people that may have opinions about whether boys are supposed to do this or girls are supposed to do that. And and some of those people will voice their opinions and some will be loud about their opinions. Uh, but, you know, an opinion is nothing more than a burst of air unless you turn it into something else. So don't ever let anybody edit your interests. You're interested in whatever you are interested in and you are entitled to pursue and develop that interest. Find out if you are going to make it uh, your, your favorite hobby or the center point of your career. Um, ex- that's for you to explore and determine. I really encourage uh, people to dream big and uh, stoke their curiosity as, as widely as possible. Uh, and then to recognize you're going to have to match that that vision and that dream and that curiosity, you're going to have to match it with hard work and you're going to have to match it with some grit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, life will throw rocks at you and give you setbacks. And those are in part to test, strengthen your character and test how strong your commitment really is to the passion or the vision or the dream that motivated you in the first place. Gosh, those are great pieces of advice. I'm glad to have them as well. (laughs) Kathy Sullivan. Gosh, isn't she just great? She recently wrote a book you might like. It's called Handprints on Hubble, an astronaut's story of invention. One more thing you don't want to miss in just a minute. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Today in Bad Bitch Birthdays, I think we need to celebrate MFK Fisher because she was born on July 3rd in 1908, and she is legit amazing. She was a writer who talked about the art of food and the taste of living, according to The New York Times, who also said that her personal essays on food created a genre. 
Her career spanned more than 50 years. She wrote hundreds of stories for The New Yorker and 15 books. She wrote a screenplay and a book for kids and a novel and a bunch of essay collections. She died in 1992. She also said something that reminds me of Kathy's excellent advice about not letting other people edit your interests. MFK Fisher said, I cannot count the good people I know who, to my mind, would be even better if they bent their spirits to the study of their own hungers. All right, that's it for today. The show was produced by me, Greta Johnson, with help from Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak. Do your homework. Just be really hungry, you know, whatever that means. Just do it. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.